footy lovers. Welcome to another bumper episode of your favourite footy podcast. So, Casey, you brought a pie this week, which is a positive and a happy pie. Yes, I have a hot pie this week. Um, I guess, you know, this pie sort of came about because I wanted to, I guess, offset some of um, the conversation around bad sports journalism, which we talk about a little bit and we talk about the state of journalism in general. And I think it's sort of important to highlight good journalism and good writing because it is still out there. And I had some opportunity this weekend to actually sit down and do some reading, which I don't usually get. So it was a bit of a luxury. But I just wanted to highlight some pieces that I've read over the last couple of days, which I found really, really great because I don't want to talk about the bad things anymore. So here's just a quick little run through of what I read. And I would really recommend people go check out these pieces if you haven't already. Um, Obviously, I'm going to start with the uh, feature that Samantha Lane wrote for The Age on Adam Goods after the releases of the two documentaries, which I think was an amazing profile. I think Samantha Lane is an incredible writer. Um, I really miss her at The Age, but I think now that she's taken some time away and she's focusing on other things, it lends herself to do bigger pieces of work, which I really appreciate um, because I do like her style quite a lot. And I think this piece is something that as a football community we've really wanted because we have wanted to hear from Goods since these documentaries have come out. But then I think we understand why he won't sort of put himself front and centre in the media post these mm-hmm. um, documentaries for obvious reasons. But it's you can understand that from this piece that he has a really good relationship with Samantha Lane, which is why he's opened himself up and to this conversation. Yeah. yeah, and I think that comes through because I think Lane tells this um, – in this piece, it's sort of written from a real place of care and understanding and you can tell the type of trust that Goods has in her to sort of tell this part of the story um, post these documentaries and it's a really interesting piece and I think it's it still goes to what I said a couple of weeks ago about this story not needing to have that little bow on the end of it to tie it up. It still leaves it quite open, um, which I think is really important because I think a lot of the footy fans are kind of just waiting for this moment where it's... Did it leave it open? Because to me, it left the door pretty shut. For him? Yeah, in terms of, no, a, but in I terms mean, of formal capacity. But it's not, it's not like the issue is resolved. It's not that's like, yeah, what Sam, I'm saying, yeah, Sam yeah. wrote this piece and like, oh, we've fixed it now. Exactly. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah so that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, the piece is complete, but it doesn't like sum up his narrative. Like there yep. are still issues to discuss, which is what I was trying to say, I guess, in that we don't because I and that's what I said on the podcast when we talked about the final quarter is that we as a football community don't deserve to have this wrapped up nicely just yet we don't deserve Adam to come out and be like oh it's all good you know I'm, I'm going to move on now I think we still need to have these conversations and work towards these issues and I think this interview with with him kind of lends its voice to that as well so that's why I really appreciated um like her stance on writing that piece I didn't think it was a profile though I thought it was a more of a an issue-based feature. Like, I didn't think that it was a complete portrait of Adam Goods. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that it was what it was meant it to be. Yeah, no, I think that's what it was meant to be. It just mm-hmm. didn't... Like, a profile probably gives me more of li- the little details about him and who he is, and I think it was more based around him and his environment and the issues that he's faced, and that was the line of questioning. Yeah. Which is not a problem. I just, yeah, it wasn't a profile in the sense that it, like a biography is a profile. For no, example. and I don't think we really need that in the climate that we're in with no. everything that's coming out no. about him right now. So I think it was kind of like a good sort of extra little insight into him and, and into him right now, yeah. which I think is, I mean, amazing that he lent himself to something like that, considering yeah. a lot of people who would have their story that they already lived through that was so harrowing brought back to the surface. I mean, 
if if I was in that position, I'd be running for the hills. I wouldn't yeah. want to be around anything. So I think he's still doing yeah. a mountain of work. It even... was definitely the piece that we needed. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And I think she was the one to tell it. Um, I think she did an amazing job. So I'd recommend everyone to have a look at that if you haven't. Um, the other piece I got to read was um, in the Guardian International Edition by Emma Brox, which was a feature on Megan Rapino, um, which was excellent. Um for anyone who was unaware of who Megan Rapino is from the Women's World Cup, um, obviously captain of the US women's national team, um, very outspoken individual about a lot of issues um, pertaining to women in sport, equality, gay rights, um, politics and sports in America, you name it, she's out there talking about it, which is amazing. She's an amazing spokesperson. Um, this piece, I think, has come at a really interesting time because I think we're starting to see a lot of the interest die away from that momentum that was gained at that time during the Women's World Cup. So I think it's great that we still have journalists doing the work to keep the conversation going because, I mean, I'm trying to keep across it somewhat. I guess it's a bit difficult because soccer is not really my sport and I'm not still sort of coming into it a little bit, but I'm trying to follow the um, the lawsuit that the US Women's National Team is going through at the moment um, for equal pay um, because those conversations have broken down. So I think all the momentum that we were experiencing around the time of the Women's World Cup because they put those conversations on hold to go over to France um, – we have these people out there like Megan um, at the forefront of that movement. They obviously won. So we sort of thought maybe we would see some positive traction from that. But now we've come back. It's a couple months later and, you know, that situation is still quite dire. So this is a really timely piece to sort of keep that conversation going, talk more about her and what she's been doing um, post the Women's World Cup. And, um, and there's some really great photos in there of her because, I mean, just being complete fangirl. I just love her look. I think she's awesome and I think she photographs amazingly and she's got so much personality in the photo shoots that she's been doing. So just go have a look at it for those amazing photos. And the final piece that I read um, was something that just came out today actually on ESPN Australia, which was a piece by journalist Jake Michaels, um, who wrote a piece about the culture um, in Melbourne around our, I guess, not renewed love, but how basketball has become more prevalent in Melbourne's cultural scene over the last sort of few years, um, which I found really interesting because it's a real cool little dive into how basketball has that cultural side that we've seen through, I guess, if you're a basketball fan, what you see when you look from the outside into the scene in America. So like, you know, street culture, street art, fashion, all that sort of stuff. And when you think about Melbourne as a city, that's kind of representative of as what we are from the outside into. So to bring basketball into that from a Melbourne perspective was really interesting to see how he put that together. Um, and there's a lot of things that I kind of learned from that piece too, because I guess as a basketball fan, I've seen this stuff for a while, but then I still haven't really seen how it's kind of integrated into the cultural side of Melbourne from like the art perspective, the fashion um, even just like the you know street ball style, like um, you know the competition that's held in Paran, I think Paran Summer Jam. Yeah, you go, you go. Yeah, so like that kind of stuff is sort of gaining a bit of like underground traction. It's now sort of coming a bit more oh, no. popular we culture. Are mainstream now in the three one eight three. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's getting more and more, and like that's kind of stuff to me from a basketball fan is really cool to see developing and becoming not just like a sport but a bigger cultural movement. Mm. So that was a really cool piece to read, um, particularly this week. But anyway, so yeah, that was just a cool things that I read, um, which just sort of makes me remember that there is good sports writing out there. It's not all bad. Journalism's not dying, I hope. So go have a bit of a read, friends. Crowley's promised that you'll pay no more than you will anywhere else for their great range of clothes. 
They'll even match the price if necessary. That's Routley's philosophy, and I think it's great. I brought a cold pie this week. What's your cold pie? Well, of course, it's Sydney stack related. <laughs> um, of course. So everyone, anyone who kind of follows Richmond will know that Sydney stack was dropped and then uh, ended up with a syndesmosis injury in the VFL. Is that, mm. is that the right terminology for a syndesmosis? Is it a syndesmosis injury or he got syndesmosis? Well, neither of those two things. Syndesmosis is a, is a part of your body. Good. Going so well then. It's a, it's the it's the ligaments that joins your ankle to your to your two lower knee uh, lower lower leg bones. Your hip bones connect to your knee bone. Anyway, so the story here is we had a conversation a few weeks ago about merch energy and positive merch energy in the case of Josh Kennedy and others. Mm-hmm. I've done the opposite. I've done a merch muzz. So oh, I sat no. down on Friday and went, you know what? The Carlton Draft have got a little deal on their beanies. I'm going to order some beanies. Cool. Ordered a No Nerds beanie. Reordered the Snags Higgins beanie because I lost mine. Uh, what else did I order? I ordered another beanie. I can't remember what it was. Did it get the Fitzroy one? Ah, correct. You know me too well. I don't know why I know this. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I need to buy the Sydney Stack Jumper because that's that's what I need as a man. So then three things happened. Firstly, I told Gabby, who was like, oh, I was going to buy that for you. Sucked in. Cheers. Thank you. So that was, you know, $60 <laughs> that I could have avoided spending. And then Sydney Stack got injured. Oh, then he got dropped. So I was like, okay, well, I've muzzed him. He's now been dropped. Hang on. I want to know and the timeline of this, though, because like, this is not making sense. If you bought it on a Friday, he's already dropped. No, he was in the extended squad. Yeah, but it wasn't listed on the actual games. No, right? he, he, he hadn't been play. dropped. He, he hadn't dropped. been dropped. He was already dropped he is what I'm saying. He hadn't been dropped. <laughs> he already was. <laughs> if he's on the extended, if he's on the extended emergencies, he's most likely not going to be playing. And that's on a Friday night. So they've oh. already made the decision and then you went and bought some merch on a Friday night. Hasn't even turned up yet. I don't understand where the merch muzz happens. But then he gets his in- ankle injury on the Saturday. Yeah. So I've muzzed him. But have you worn any merch? Did, no, well, it hasn't Snag, arrived yet. Did Snag Higgins break his leg on Saturday? No. Did no nerds well, make Snag Higgins is, not, pr- is not, not operating at the moment. Yeah. Gorn, well, you know, he's, he's okay. He's healthy. Yeah. That's all going to be okay, mate. No, but like, I think I must him. Yeah. I'm worried. I must my boy. I can see where this train of thought is coming from. So mm-hmm. my thing is I used to think that merch energy could only be positive, and now I'm really questioning No, that. I think that's on you then. If you want to buy into this, like, I had an influence butterfly effect, it's because you bought merch the wrong time. If you believe that buying merch increases player performance, then you shouldn't buy the merch at the time when you think or know it's going to be dropped. And if it's listed in the extended emergencies, then don't buy the merch. That's on you, bad fan. I don't know. I feel like he was like, trying to put like energy into yeah. that position because keep like, him in the team. Exactly, Let's prop him someone up. else could have come out and he could have got his chance back stack. in. Yeah, no, Stacks I can, I can see what he was trying to do. Stack stays in. <laughs> anyway, it didn't transpire that way, yeah, and that's that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and now I feel like it's my fault, and I have to yeah. that. Mm. Well, I agree, it's your fault. Yeah, everyone, if you want to send uh, your complaint emails to at jwbannister <laughs> at gmail uh, feel free, because he ruined Steve Jack's career. That's not a real email address, just to make sure everyone doesn't start emailing the per- poor person that does have that email address. It's all good, buddy. I'm retiring all the clothing of West Coast that I wore on Sunday. <laughs> it did not work. I don't know. Maybe merch energy isn't real. I'll tell you one thing you won't get. You won't get Ruffy playing. Look at that. Selfless footy today. He'll be sharing in the, the spoils and certainly the crowd down there, Hawthorne. They just appreciate what they've seen over the last 15 years. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to the people's question. So the Jared Roughhead farewell went down 
on Sunday. He kicked six goals against the Gold Coast. And I guess our question this week is how we want to say farewell to our retiring superstars. So we had a few things that happened on the weekend. We had the Hayden Ballantyne, uh, Aaron Sandilands moment in Perth where Ballantyne man. got the he got the privilege of a pee back on AFL's tallest man. So he must have been like, what, three and a half metres in the air? Um, which I'm very much in favour of. And there's a whole host of other stars. So we had the Daisy Swan song at the MCG, which will be his last home game for Carlton because they play in Geelong this weekend. Um, And it's been announced that he's probably not going to get a new contract. Um, Kieran Jack has announced his retirement. Brett Deledio, who obviously is very close to my heart, has announced his retirement at season's end. Whether he gets a farewell game remains to be seen. So first of all, I'm going to start off here. Does every player deserve some sort of farewell game? Is that a feasible thing to expect? Or is there a limit on, like, should we only expect that for certain players and a certain calibre of superstar? Well, it depends what you mean by, like, a farewell game. As in, like, not not, not every player is going to get, like, the fanfare beforehand. Mm. Like, not even not even half those players got that, to be to be honest. Like, even, like, the, the Centerlands Ballantyne moment was more the end of the game. Most of these are, like, oh, by the way... It's old mate's last game. Like Ruffy, Ruffy, as a player, four-time premiership player, one of one of the Hawthorne greats, will probably be in a Hawthorne team of the century at some stage. Like he's he's been that influential in that club. But then he has the whole fact that he came back from his cancer uh, scare. Like he's had he's done it all in the sense of being a public figure and a great loved Hawthorne player. So that mm. makes sense. But like not everyone's that. So no, not everyone gets that. So what you're saying is Ruffy's a law unto himself, really. Well, yeah, but like, I think the I think the fans will will determine who gets the farewell game because it's for the fans, really. So as much as it's not as much as it's for Ruffy, really, what Hawthorne fans got on the weekend was to see their one of their favourite players play for one last time, which is what this is about. Because like, if they were about the result, then you'll go well, just pick the best team. But everyone was kind of gearing up for the hashtag Ruffy farewell. <laughs> Well, did they not just pick the best team? So you made this point previous. So Mitch Lewis was out injured. So there's a case to be made that Ruffy would have been picked. Oh, no. As in, Clarko came out and said he picked the best team. But what I'm saying is that the fan tribe down there at Glen Waverley were, were, you know, doing everything in their power to be like, can you please, please, please pick Ruffy? Like, there's a spot there now. We want to see him one more time. Like, play it again, Sam, just one more time. Come on. So another hypothetical. Yeah. Could you not just say... Ruffy's playing his last game for Hawthorne slash Box Hill this weekend for Box Hill and just say, you know what? Everyone should just get down. Let's make a day of it. You could What's say the difference? that, but you've, well, the difference is it's not the AFL. So he's not playing his last game of AFL. He's playing his last game of VFL. Because he's not retiring from footy. Like, he probably will play footy somewhere else. He'll probably go back home to Gippsland and play footy. Like, so it's not it, playing it in the VFL is not the same. But like, and that's also not the. It's his last hurrah. Like, this is the perfect. There are so many uh, similarities between this and like the Kobe sixty point game. I was like, they were both against pretty poor sides, and it was just two guys that got to go back to be like the old school of themselves and just like dominate a game. And so, yeah, like that's nice to do it at the same level in inverted commas because they were playing <laughs> against Gold Coast. Six goals against the buys is, is no no mean effort, but you know, it's no no uh, none of it, none of his best feats. But it's just nice to see a player like that. Go back and have one last, you know, closing moment. Mm. Case, do you remember the Kobe sixty point game? I was just like, I was just about to say, I can't believe you just squished in just a little sideswipe there at Kobe Bryant Gordo. Thanks for that. A side, was that a sideswipe? 
I think it was. Oh yeah, the Kobe <laughs> the Kobe retirement show went for like three and a half years. Um, I won't get into that because I know conversations about Kobe Bryant are inherently problematic. So um, I'll take a back burner on that. But um, yeah, to answer your first question, Jack, I think not everyone deserves a farewell game. But this is where I feel really conflicted as a football fan when you talk about should players of a certain ilk deserve or get Something, a, farewell, yeah. Yeah, a farewell game. Um or should you be picking the best team to put on the park? Because I can't, like, I have to so separate those two trains of thought. Like, I can't make them sit well together because as a fan, um, I would be, for someone, I mean, and I mean, it's you're not going to ever really find someone directly comparable, um, comparable to uh, Ruffy, I think, in this situation, considering all the circumstances. I'm just trying to think of an example, perhaps know, safe. Oh, I'm, I don't even want to say it because now you've got like the muzz mentality in my head, JB. <laughs> but like, work, like touch, knock wood or whatever, um, say Josh Kennedy gets into a similar situation and he looks like he's coming to the end of his career, but he's playing in the seconds for whatever reason. It'll never happen because whatever. Um, oh my God, if this happens now, I'm going to re- be replaying this back in my mind. Um, but if that happened, like I would be as a fan, demanding the opportunity to clap him off in that way, riding on the shoulders of other players because I think that's just the appropriate way to send someone off who hits a certain level and I think it is dictated by the fans of who those players are. But as someone who believes in believes in my coach, believes in putting the best team out there to win every week that's just so hard to reconcile as a fan because I think on one hand I deserve to see that player and have that moment because, like, I do inherently believe in those moments, like, contributing to my Mm. fandom because I think that's what sport is all about is remembering those moments because a lot of games you do remember but a lot of games you forget. So the the competitive element of it really complicates how I feel about this. Yeah. If I had to write a rule book, I think that – non-negotiable element of this for an actual advertised farewell game is they have to be a one-club player. That's about the only rule, I think, and probably have least played like 150. Well, because the other question yeah. then is, yeah, if it's like a two-club, it's like who who's No, I wasn't like, so like Travis Cloak would be the most, I think, comparable player to Ruffy. If Cloak had a stayed at Collingwood, maybe he gets a farewell game. Mm. In terms of like a player who was at the ba- about the same level come the end of his career, Cloak did less in the accolades department. But I think you know, in terms of like performance in the game and goals kicked and that kind of stuff, they're very comparable players. Yeah, they're very comparable styles of players where you probably were carrying them if they didn't kick any goals. Are they comparable in the public conscience though? No, because he, well, a Cloak played for the wrong club in the sense that he played for Collingwood, so only Collingwood fans are going to like you, <laughs> uh, and and he didn't have the yeah. the redemption story side of it. But this is not like no like no other club was campaigning for a farewell game for Ruffy. It'd be like oh, other than like pundits who are paid or forced to fill radio hours on or yeah, yeah, yeah. TV minutes. But it's like no, the Hawthorne fans wanted their beloved son to have a farewell game, and everyone else was like, oh, that'd be nice. But yeah. no one's been like, if, if Ruffy didn't get a farewell game, I'm not going to start a Twitter position. But then, petition so, to be like, give him a farewell game. Yeah. So another question then is, like, you can say goodbye in other ways because they have the grand final motorcade for 200 gamers. Is that correct? Yeah. You have to, you yeah. have to play 200. You have to be yeah. the, But then even then, there's no restriction on what clubs can do in their own capacity at the start of next season or now. So, like, if you know that 
say, round one next year, we just say, okay, anyone who retired the year before gets a lap of honour. Yeah, so that's like what, uh, what West Coast did with Mike LaCroix. Yeah, um, but again, then, mm. so where do you draw the line? Like, if you delisted someone who'd played 130 games, uh, Jared Blair is actually a relatively good example of that. Um, kind of went out with no real um, histrionics or parade around it. Mm. Um, and that quite often happens. And he's a premiership player at Collingwood, played 150 games. And we'll talk about him when we talk about the Collingwood doco yeah. um, in a minute. So then it's interesting because it's like, well, you have the players who are delisted and the players who announce their retirement. Mm. Um, and not everyone gets to go out on their own terms. Absolutely. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, I don't know. I think the lap of honour the following season I think is nice, but I think the moment of walking off of the pitch of your last game is much more emotionally charged and special like that because you just saw them play and you just saw the moment that's going to be their last moment and you get to say goodbye in that moment. I think the the lap of honour the following year or the following season, it's still nice, but it's like, oh, I remember you, like, well done, love you. But it's just like, I don't know, like it is tokenistic and it's fine, but I don't don't think it compares to like the cheering off of your yeah. final game. And players also don't always know. So the great Bob Murphy, Martin Flanagan quote is that athletes die twice. And Brody Grundy kind of alludes to that in the Collingwood doco as well. Mm-hmm. But you just, you don't, not everyone gets the choice of, you know, yeah. euthanasia, so to speak. No, but that's the point. I think it's the people who are in the position of privilege who elect sporting euthanasia or footy euthanasia that get the chair offs. Yeah. So, so if you're not if you're not, not a quote unquote good enough player to choose when you retire, if you get delisted, you're not getting chaired off. Like you haven't done enough to to get the respect of either your footy department or your football fan culture to like get that thing. And like that's savage, that's harsh, but that's what it is. That that's how you kind of I think these things are very organic and like when we try and work out who gets the farewell game, well I think it's pretty obvious who gets it because the fans kind of decide because that's like yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be like there'll be players on you know the lists are huge. There's like you know fifty players if you include rookies in category B. And there's and some stuff. who never play a game. Some that never play a game. Some that play three or four. Some that you know break down very early doors. You know all that kind of stuff. The interesting one was like, will the all-time greats that played at different clubs get a, get like a farewell tour? Like, does Buddy Franklin get a farewell tour? What do you mean by a tour? Or like, because I don't think like will he get. Because I think Hawthorne fans want to say goodbye to Buddy mm-hmm. as much as they, as much as Sydney fans want to say goodbye to Buddy. If yep. anything, Hawthorne has to say goodbye more. Mm-hmm. And like, does Luke Hodge get a farewell? Well, he kind of had one when he retired on the same day as Bob, and then decided he was going to Brisbane. <laughs> but does he get another one? Him and Bob got chaired off together. Yeah. So he's doing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Brett Deledio is in the same category as um, Franklin. No, so wow. No, no he's not. Wow. <laughs> is Brett Deledio no, jump no, shit? No, no, no. no, no. You want to hear me get nothing for the first one of this podcast? <laughs> Brett Deliver doesn't deserve shit. Okay, go on. Explain. Wow. He 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 freaked out because he knew that his body is is he's got body issues and that's totally fine. That's your that's your gift your your boat. And he went, this club is not going to be good enough to win a premiership. I need to go jump ship. I'll jump ship to the best possible team possible and try and buy myself a flag before I have to retire. He got that. What happened next year? The Tigers won the flag. If he had stayed, he would have had a spot on that list. He would have, he would have been a walks upstart first twenty-two player for the rest of his Richmond days until he decided not to retire or or was forced into retirement. And he said he went chasing a flag. He had the opportunity to be a one-club player, and he didn't take it. I got no love for the man as a footballer. Entity. Well, you see, I think him, as a, like yeah. as, a, as a character. No, well, and this is really interesting. So no, he doesn't because get a, a lot of Richmond supporters take the opposite view. 
where they have quite a lot of sentimentality about Deledio because he kept the dark days bright. Now, I, I am actually more in the Gordon Hunter Meredith strain of, train of thought here, and I can't believe I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> but, but that is generally – like part of me with Lids is like, well, you didn't believe in it. You'd made finals for three years and then had a bad year, and that was the point that you decided to jump off. Yeah. Like I'm kind of a bit to like, the Giants mm. as well. Yeah, like so. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm I'm actually with you on that. But then again, the things with the, the thing with Deledio is there's far more Richmond supporters crying out to say goodbye. Yeah, but it's, that's that's for them. That's not him deserving. It's the fans wanting to see Del- like Lids one more time, and it's about them reliving Lids the Tiger. Just yeah, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I think Buddy will be the, if we think, like, if there's ever going to be, like, an official rule book written about who gets retirement games, retirement tours, like, Buddy's going to be the playbook. How how both Hawthorne and Sydney treat Buddy's eventual retirement will be kind of like, that's your precedent. Because he is, mm-hmm. in many ways, it's been a very, like, laboured uh, uh, cliche, but, like, he's the LeBron James of AFL. And he's, he's the first big multi-million one because like the Gary Ablett one he's gone back home again so he's gone full LeBron James <laughs> but then um, but so he gets the chair yeah. when he retires he'll get the chair off he'll be a Geelong legend that oh he went up there for a little bit but let's forget about that I don't think I don't think Gazza is loved as universally I think his, his skill is appreciated but there's a reverence for Franklin that I don't think people have for Ablett oh I could be reading fan, no, I fan think, I think you wrong. just I think you just hang out in different parts of Twitter okay <laughs> Because, like, Ablett's a freak. Everyone knows he's a freak. I'm not saying he's, he's not. No, as in, like, everyone sees Ablett play. But who are you miss more? Oh, me, personally? Hmm. Ablett. Who are you miss more? I'm a big Buddy fan. Yeah. yeah. You see, I'm 100% Buddy. Mm. Buddy all the way. There's, the, there's a bit of that um, key forward aspect to it. Yeah, I think that's probably Which is, like, it. everyone misses the key forwards. But yeah. like the, the key forward mafia, as Bob calls them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he'll go into, he'll, he'll have a spot in that pantheon of whatever the Bob thing is about the Godfather. Like, <laughs> it's Gary so funny. will go down in, in the annals of time as probably the best player of all time until another one maybe knocks him off. But, like, it won't be tricky. So do you feel awkward if Ruffy plays against West Coast this week? No, because get, everyone gets their chair off at home. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. get shed off away. Yeah, like Daisy will go to Cattery and yeah. cool. It'll yeah. officially be his last weekend, but yeah. it's fine to have the the week before as the histrionics. Mm. Uh, I guess it does it get more does it get awkward if they make finals and get a Melbourne final and then Ruffy plays? No, like you kinda because you didn't know. Okay, so you yeah, I mean, because that's the only thing. I I guess you can. Th- there's no easy or perfect way to do this. Mm. It's, it's hardly. I don't think the Hawthorne fans would be like, "Oh, you've really been cheered off, bugger off." And be like, "We made finals. How great's this?" <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. And yeah. it is an outside chance. I'm just saying yeah. that, like, it's it, again, even just talking about those different situations and those permutations, it's very hard to just be like, "Guess what? It's going to be your last game." Like, you, it's very hard to know that for for certain. Mm. Yeah. Like two blokes could break their legs tomorrow at Hawthorne and then they still And chances are, again, like to go back to the six-goal aspect, like he had a great game. That's a good way to go. Even if this isn't actually my last game, let's just pretend for the next three and a half minutes that it is because this is a good way. for I want to I want to see these photos and my face and my family being like, oh, we had a good day out. Not, mm. oh, we made the first final and we got pants by whoever finished fifth by like 80 yeah. points. Yeah, so this was going to ask because I'm trying to recall – because I don't think I can think of really anyone, but obviously beyond the season, your last game then is when you lose. Mm. So I can't remember often, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Um, I can't remember anyone in that situation who would have announced their retirement who has gone into 
finals playing their last game having lost and then wanting or not it would it's never really them they never really want it it's usually the fans or the other yeah. like their teammates who are trying to rally around for that sort of moment i can't remember a moment where there's been post a losing final celebrating someone's last game. Yeah, or even a winning one in the sense of like a grand final either. Because most well, of the time... the grand you, final, yeah, will take over. It gets yeah. swallowed, yeah. swallowed like it did with a car. It got swallowed, it gets swallowed up, swallowed up in the overall narrative of the thing. Yeah, so I just don't think finals is ever an option for that. Like, yeah. I mean, there might be like a little bit of a standing ovation from, you know, the, the crowd when they walk off and just as a thank you or something, yeah. but it's never going to be like you see in regular season. Yeah, yeah that's just a bit awkward. Yeah, and there's never, there's just never a smooth and easy. You just can't plan sports sometimes. I mean, in, no. I was saying to you in European soccer, they do the testimonial where they invite the player back for the for a friendly, essentially at the start of the next season, and he plays one last kind of game with all his mates, and people can that works all right in soccer because you know you're not getting bashed for two. Well, exactly, hours. it's not a concept <laughs> that would work in footy, mm. but it, there is, and you can have testimonials in cricket and rugby and various other sports. It's kind of a thing that does occur. Yeah, but the testimonials are really only for the absolute greats. Like you're getting like Correct. one or two testimonial generation, not. Yeah. Yeah. No, Beckham has a testimonial. Yeah. But not, you know, uh, Davey Vaughan probably won't have a testi- testimonial. If anyone knows who Davey Vaughan is, kudos to you. We were a chest beating club. Yeah, we were arrogant. And I was a part of that. There's a part of me that goes like what my life would be like if I wasn't Brody Grundy for playing with man button sort of guy. Right now I'm pretty frustrated as a player. I'm out of contract. The team's going well and you really want to be a part of that. It's a little bit scary. Not many people know that I've been struggling a little bit with just a bit of anxiety and, and my mental health I suppose I should say and it's very private. The comparison to when I was a player to the current day football environment is very different because the people are very different. Moving on to our book club, Casey, you have been busy. You've been busy doing a panel at MIF. The Melbourne International Film Festival has rolled into town and you were there opening up the premiere of Collingwood from the Inside Out. It's a film and it's pretty much all in the title. Um, the film is about Collingwood. It's 58 minutes long. It follows four main characters in Brody Grundy, Adam Trelaw, Nathan Buckley and Jared Blair. So you were very lucky to host a Q&A with... Josh Cable and Marcus Cobbledick. Is that mm-hmm. correct? I've got the names right. Yes, yeah, so the names are the filmmakers and they co-directed the documentary. So, um, oh, yeah, it was amazing to be asked to be part of something like that um, on that sort of scale. So it was very honoured um, and also a bit, a bit hesitant when I was first asked um, when I, I was told that it was going to be a documentary based on Collingwood's 2018 season. Why were you hesitant? Um, as a West Coast supporter, I was a bit worried that I thought they might have asked the wrong person. Um, but they explained to me that it wasn't so much about uh, the grand final loss. It was more about the stories um, of these uh, four players and uh, well, three players and one coach, obviously, um, that they followed throughout the year. And it was more about um, sort of the questions of, you know, what did Collingwood do to sort of get themselves in that position anyway? So a lot of, you know, issues of um, cultural change and, you know, outside pressure and how they dealt with that inside those four walls. So when they talked me through that, I was probably a bit more interested and a bit less worried about um, going in there and just relishing <laughs> the opportunity to talk about um, a, a team who I'd been, well, 
when I say my team beat in the grand final, I didn't beat them in the grand final. Um, Did you wear West Coast socks on the night? Just I, no, I, I refrained from all of that and um, I tried not to let my fandom take over too much because I think it was a really interesting documentary and I was really happy that um, that I got to, to see it early and, um, and got to have a conversation with the filmmakers about it. Um, I think it was just really... It was just really cool to do something like that that took me outside of my usual like footy bubble because I think don't think I really pay too much attention on that level to a lot of other clubs. So yeah, it was a really great experience. And um, thank you both for coming along to Absolute the event. Absolute pleasure. So the film itself, Gordo, what were your initial impressions? My initial impressions, I wasn't a huge fan of this uh, film only because I think well follows on from last week's conversations of like where I think other sports have gone to in terms of like narrative styles and like this felt like very like it felt like almost like an episode of Hard Knocks to me like it's basically the same length and it you know Hard Knocks follows in an hour long episode follows the story of three to four people's little mini journeys yeah and I think that's what you got like you got a little like taste of like oh this is the journey that Trelaw's on this is the journey that Grundy's on this is the journey that Bucks is on this is the end of Blair's career and that was kind of like it left me wanting I mean, that's the point. But it left me wanting to go try and find out more, and especially for a film that is pitched about this is what changed in 2018 to take us from an unsuccessful club or an under-succeeding club to a almost super-successful one. It didn't really explain or elicit to me what those changes were. We just got told quite like often that the change happened and we saw the results in terms of like the game highlights and things and like the progression of the season, but not a lot. I didn't really deep that dive, didn't dive that deep into like what actually changed. Yeah. Which is interesting because there's been a lot of work done already around vulnerability and connectedness as a weapon in sport. Mm. And that wasn't really, um, I guess that research wasn't bought into. And I, I think that's an interesting outtake because for a, I think you talk a little bit in creative fiction or just any sort of, sorry, creative nonfiction about showing rather than telling. Mm. And I think if anything, if I had a criticism of it, it was that it did quite a bit of telling. You saw how that was built up in the opening scene with Collingwood and what they were in 17 and then a lot of people told you what they felt. But it's, but it, maybe it's, is it a hard thing to show? Like a change in relationships internally? Well, I think maybe it comes down to access, which again we talked about last episode is like, Maybe Collingwood didn't allow them to have access to like the darker moments of that season. Yeah, but I feel like they're the times where the cultural changes would be more illicit. Ex- yeah, yeah. More so we saw that with like the grand final loss where Bucks come out and says, "I absolutely." And spoilers. Uh, <laughs> before you go any further, spoilers will be in this. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to lead you, boys. Like that part there shows like that's. That's that's like that is showing you that this man who is, if you know anything about his history as a player, like the most controlled, prepared, like ultra robotic human, is now being like, oh no, I'm willing to tell you how vulnerable I am, in, in tears. and I'm willing to like encourage you to feel vulnerable with me, and, and I, it's yeah, oh totally okay. Yeah, we don't know what's gonna yeah. happen from now on, but we'll be okay. Yeah, and but the, that was really I, touching. I love you, and mm. I love our group. But then when that's the start of the film, not a lot was spent on, like, how he went from not that and the Collingwood internal coaching review to getting to that point in the grand final. Yeah. I mean, my initial interpret my, my initial feeling was that it went quickly, but there was there were points where I just, you jump from the early, you just jump through the season very quickly. Like, I wanted more about when they lost the first two games. Like, what did we do then? 
like tell me what what happened then on Monday, and that's probably what you didn't get. Yeah, I think that's a different film though. Like, I don't think to me the games are almost a bit like irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Like the tactics yeah, yeah. and the resetting and all that kind of stuff. Like when you're saying when you're talking about showing not telling, like I think they do show a lot. Like I think that moment that you mentioned, mm. Gordon, that shows so much. Um, and that's so much like of something that we don't usually see in this environment of football media. So I think like, yeah, I think for me, I probably did want a little bit more of stuff and I wanted the film to be longer. Like it's quite a short film for a feature film mm. and a feature documentary. Um, part of me thinks that's, that is because it was originally designed to premiere on television. Um, so that could have come into it. And um, it's showing on the ABC soon. Yes, it will be on the ABC on September 3, uh, yep. 6.30pm, I think. So, yeah, I think it was made for a specific format, which is interesting to think about, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think there's definitely elements there that I would have liked teased out a bit more, but I think wanting more from, like, how they go from game to game in terms of game style and planning doesn't isn't something I'm interested in. No, it was more the reaction to a, like a loss. I was never expecting it to be a tactical book yeah. because I know that clubs just won't give away their IP. But it was more like, okay, so what? How do we react as a unit? What was our immediate was our immediate response? Despair? Was it no? This is fine. We can cope with these losses. I believe that we're better than this. Was it anger? My, my see, would, like, no, I mine would be more like that. I wanted to see more of like. Mondays. I wanted to see conversations more like a last chance you. Ideally, I think I actually want this to be a series as right. opposed to a 56 minute film. That would be because, interesting. Because, like, so last chance you, especially the first couple of seasons, was really good at like, so they, it, and again, it's a very similar format. It's all like found footage. They don't know what they're going to get until it happens. And then they go back and like, then like see the, see the, what story they've got. And then they, you know, re, reverse engineered a, a little bit. And so there's always this like, you know, here's let's pick one player, go on that journey for 56 minutes and then kind of like pull out the little the little strings. And I think that's what they that's what I felt like it struggled with because they're doing that but with four characters in the same time frame. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think, like I think that they chose great characters to explore but because they chose great characters, getting essentially 15 minutes per character isn't enough. Yeah, to yeah. tell like a, a, a any story, let alone a year's story or th- the background of that as well, because I think, yeah, it's not game time, it's not post game, it's like what they what do they each do on a Monday. So the best one was obviously Trelaw because you got to see him have a conversation with a with a psychologist, whereas the the rest, you know, the the Bucks raw footage was like him ki- coaching his ki- kids' footy team, but I would have loved to see him having conversations with his uh, coaching panel. Or like the footy ops and being like, what are we doing? Like having a hard conversation or even getting access to the review, but maybe that happened before like the, mm. the documentary was. But I feel like they're, yeah, I wanted to see like the mechanics of the cultural change as opposed to like the high and the low points as well. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like they were there. I mean, because this is coming from someone who's like, I have watched the film quite a few times because yeah. I had to prepare for the event. Um, like Bucks is shown having those leadership meetings in his office. Like they are having those discussions, but perhaps it's just. They time-lapsed it. What, but that no, you see like audio, like their conversations there, like that's, you know, when they're um, like trawlers in the office as part of the leadership team and like is questioning people's roles and they're having those conversations. Um, there are like little snippets of when they are like 
post-game talking about things and you can get like in the rooms we, there is no audio I think in those where it's just um, the music yeah. but you can see on their faces mm. in those first few games at the start of the year like how they're dealing with the disappointment and I think that's um, at the start of the film I remember like those pieces to camera like particularly from Brody Grundy I think after the Adelaide game where he's just really frank and just said like I played so shit that game so I think you do get quite a bit of the honest reaction and I think what is maybe missing a little bit is just, yeah, what you mentioned there, God, is just that build up to how they keep progressing that. But I think those moments are there, but maybe it does take a couple of viewings to really see them. But then, yeah, I think that just lends to teasing them out a bit more. I mean, to see something like this in a series, I think would be groundbreaking for like football media as a whole. But it'd be interesting to see if a club would ever commit to doing something like that. But the commitment would be the same. It'd just be you get to use more of the footage. I can imagine it'd be like if, if this if they had to get it in under an hour, uh, and they'd spent a whole year filming. I don't know. All the, yeah. I don't know. I don't know their contact hours or whatever. Like sure. That. I mean, I would imagine there probably would be a little bit more contact hours, but I think you're right in terms of like the filmmaker's time. But I think it'd be the club buy-in of having something in the media in the spotlight for longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where I think the issue is from the club's point of view. Yeah, 100%. Mm. So did you have like a key learning or outtake? What was your single biggest outtake case? I think it was just – it was more around Bucks um, because I think – I think I've said this before on the podcast, probably after the grand final when we talked about Buckley as a personality because I think for me it took to the grand final to really start to think of him as a different person but I only thought about him in isolation, like around how he behaved on grand final day. I didn't think about him really that whole season and what he'd been doing. I thought perhaps that new side of him just came out in finals or just came out on that day because I remember talking about him a lot that um, the week after the grand final, which for someone whose team had just won the grand final was really weird. Yeah. But I had so much admiration for him. Um, but I hadn't thought about all of the steps that he took to get there and, or how he ch- changed his mindset. And I'd kind of forgotten all about that review that Collingwood had at the end of 2017. Yeah. So I think for me this film was really interesting to put that all back into context of how like that sort of – how Collingwood was in the football landscape for sort of those 18 months. Um, So, yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway was just his actual, like, I don't want to say change because I think, like, he probably just maybe just adapted a bit more and just became a bit more of the coach that you need to be in this modern landscape, which I think lent to um, a really interesting conversation I had after the film um, with someone who came along and who were, they're not really football fans, they're actually from the UK, so Australian rules football is something very different to them. And the first thing they said to me was um, talking about, you know, issues of toxic masculinity and, um, you know, and vulnerability, which we've mentioned before. And we were talking about how looking at someone like him and they'd just seen the Australian dream as well, which Nathan Buckley appears in um, with some pieces to camera talking about Adam Goods and he, and he's very good in, in that as well um, in how he articulates his thoughts about, about that issue. And um, these people said to me something like, you know, the, the thoughts we have about, you know, stereotypically, you know, 
old white men who aren't going to change their opinions on things or are so far behind and they're not progressive. Like we just have to wait for them to die out until we can achieve change. And I think someone like Nathan Buckley probably falls into that age group of like someone who's, you know, lived a not lived a whole life, but has been around long enough, has been in a very masculine environment, probably had been set in his ways for a long time, but he has chosen to change aspects of his personality, to be more progressive, to be more adaptable, to suit the people around him and change in his environment. Well, he says that about his own parenting versus his father's parenting. Yeah. So I think to me, like, that's something that I learned that, you know, we don't have to sit around and wait for people to disappear and drop off to achieve change. Like, you can change for the better in in hyper-masculine environments. And I think that's a really positive outtake from something like this. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit off air Gordo, so it's interesting that you mentioned your biggest learnings being around Buckley because the analogy that's often used with the coach, it's a Bob Murphy one again, sorry listeners, is that the coach is the sun in the solar system that everything orbits around. And so we were saying off air that the other three characters are very, very dependent on Buckley. So Mm -hmm. their narratives are all pretty much all tied up to his in quite a strong way. From like a footy uh, civics class kind of perspective, it proves why we put so much cachet in our head coaches. Yeah. Because like that, even the way that they've probably accidentally set that narrative up is that, yeah, he is the touch point on everyone in that club. He's not, like technically the head coach isn't the highest coaching position. Like there's football directors and there's football CEOs that are more, uh, yeah, higher ranked, if not higher, they won't be higher paid, but higher ranked. But yeah, the, the reason why we go, we need to sack the coach, we need to sack the coach, we need a new coach, we need to get the best coach possible is because they're the ones that do set that culture, if nothing else. And we saw that in this film. So I think that's, yeah, the, the story of Bucks and you, it, yeah, people I think went a bit simplistic in the grand funnel uh, review of like, oh, Collingwood's changed so much because of Bucks. But then you see that and go, well, actually, there's a huge possibility it was because of Bucks. Yeah, I think they're also good people. Helping Bucks to change, oh, like 100%. Nick's. Ma- it's not surprising to me that Nick Maxwell is very prevalent in the doco because I think he's quite central to their cult. He's their cultural manager or whatever his name is. So that's not hmm. surprising. I guess the other thing that probably amplifies the point that you've made there is the fact that if you look at the caretaker sort of, I wouldn't call it a fad, but the caretaker experience this year with the upturn in Carlton's fortunes under David Teague and North Melbourne's under Reece Shaw probably points to the same theory and the same point that you've just made. Hmm. The other takeaway I have from that film, though, is how for a person that's been involved in clubs and like elite sporting environments since a very young age, is how normal the AFL environment is. Which I think, I think this kind of year, this year, if the year had a theme in the sports Australian sports media, it's been like the humanising of the especially male elite sporting athlete. You mean twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen? Twenty nineteen. Okay. So like the things, the things have come out this year in terms of. Uh, personal profiles and athlete-driven media, uh, talking about mental well-being, uh, more you know exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff, more players are just willing to be themselves, that kind of thing, and the shows that go with it has all been like, oh, we're just people, and then you go, yeah, that's like the only difference between that footy club and every other sports club I've been involved in is that they get to do it full time and get paid a lot more than what I do. And that's about it. Like the what you talk about and who you have to deal with and, you know, idiots on the bus doing like what's four minus five, flip you the bird. I was literally about to say that. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that, Jordan, I've said this before, Jordan Ngoi reminds me so heavily of a couple of players that I've coached in field hockey. 
when I just watch him. Yeah. And so what I thought was interesting is even like, maybe this is why, maybe one of this is the reasons it's compelling is because you do see your own sporting experiences in it. Like even the scenes where they're sitting around having dinner and they're just talking over meals and they're goofing around and someone's playing the guitar on a, I don't know what it was, some sort of net. And, like, that stuff is kind of very normal. It feels very, very suburban almost. I think that's the why maybe the point I came out, like, almost underwhelmed out of it is because I don't think – I think the people who get the most enjoyment out of this the people that aren't in those sporting environments. Yep. So it is, like, the people from the UK who have, aren't that familiar with the AFL yeah. or it's people that go – like, everyone in Australia will know what Collingwood is. Mm. They'll know the – most will know who Nathan Buckley is and they'll know vaguely about his story. And then seeing that would be quite – um, yeah, A, captivating, but B, revealing. But if, like, if you live, eat, and breathe for sport, let alone footy, you'll just go, uh, it was very much like, it was almost like going to an installation piece at Acme or at Acker and being like, oh, this is just someone that's like, it's just a day in the life over a year. Like the whole, yeah. take it, take 30 seconds of your life every day and then play it back and go, oh, actually that is like a very natural narrative <sighs> That kind of thing. Well, it struck, it stood out to me. I know, so you mentioned Friends from the UK. It's very much cut to be accessible to a broader audience than just the people that are football nuffies. And that mm. starts with the introduction. And then even little things like how they marked Jared Blair going back to play in the VFL. And kind of there was a, quite a concrete explanation of what, like, the VFL what that is. is. Yeah. 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 Like rather than just like he's going and playing for the Magpies VFL team. It's like he's going and playing for the Magpies second team who play in the Victorian Football League. I'm yeah. like, well, that's an explanation for someone who doesn't have a clue how the system yeah. works, mm. which is very, very deliberate. Yeah. Um, and I think that was an interesting kind of takeaway. I want to go back to the idea of a miniseries. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned this and you mentioned this immediately after that we mentioned it again here. Is footy ready for the last chance you of footy? Like, because we've had this doco, we've had the Conrad Marshall book out of Richmond, we've had a little bit of kind of more open access to some of the big clubs. So is a club going to go, you know what, 2020, let's do a six-part documentary? I reckon the clubs are ready for a 30 for 30 star documentary. So you'll go back and deep dive on, like, the bad boys of Hawthorne in the 80s. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll, you'll sit them down in a room and you'll get some archival footage and you'll talk about that because you can't hold them to account at the moment. Like last chance you is captivating because it's lifetime. The kids are still at college when it's going to air. Yeah. And like the head coach is still a head coach when he's getting panned for being this like uh, uh, like the pinnacle of toxic masculinity and then he's actively trying to change as the show is going on. Like AFL is definitely not ready for that. So you're telling me that's almost reality TV areas. It is it is it is reality TV. Well that's what documentaries are. Documentaries are the original and like Yeah, but in I guess real time reality TV. It's probably the other. Uh, yeah. The, the hilarious thing about reality TV is that it's not real. <laughs> like documentaries are far realer than reality you know, TV. Watch Unreal. Yeah. yeah. Or the, mm. just, just stop talking about footy and go watch The Bachelor. Oh, gosh. Um, let's not do that. Um, I think the only way that we would see something serialised like this if it ha- is if the clubs have complete control over it, mm. which then brings back your questions about, you know, you know, authenticity and bias and all of that kind of thing. And then I think that also changes the audience because I think you wouldn't have something that becomes as, you know, universally watched or um, I, you know, in, I don't think you'd have as many people engage with something like that who aren't just your normal club members who are just watching your club content yeah. on the club website. So where oh, something yeah. like, like Last Chance You and – those sort of things that brings across like 
any type of fan because the narrative is compelling and enough. And even non-fans. I think like yeah. the split on Netflix was 50-50 between people that right. watch other football-related Netflix content and ones that just liked documentaries. Yeah, because like the story brings people in and, yeah. and how yeah. it's created is to be more than just, you know, this one player yeah. who some people might be a fan of. So this is for you. Like it becomes for everyone. But yeah. I think if we're going to move into that space, I don't know, I just... I just we have such an issue with control and access in the Australian Football League that I just don't see anything like that happening. So did you? I like so I quite like watching a thirty for thirty mm-hmm. with no sporting background. So without knowing, say the story of the Detroit Pistons, right, yeah, which yeah. is one of my favourites. Because I was like, you know what, you should go watch this. I think you'll find it entertaining. When I watched it, loved it. But with this doco, where I was at the same level of, like the level of knowledge that you might be, say, about NBA, does that affect, like, do you do you enjoy, do you enjoy a 30-30 less because you know the story previous? Does that affect what you want from the documentary? No, because those stories are more than, like, all those 30 for 30s are about more than the sport. And if anything, they're actually not about sport at all. Yep. So most of them are actually... This sporting event happened, but it's a touch, touch point into a moment in time in a country, culture, person's mm. life. Yep, yep, yep. That kind of thing. That's what I think this was missing because they did it, like they just did it and said, like, we're going to have a year with you. I'm going to make a film. Whereas all the 30 for 30s are documentaries that are retrospective. So it's like, this is a flashpoint in time. Let's tell that story. Yep. Or tell it a different way yep. or a way it hasn't been told before. So, yeah, that's that's a different type of filmmaking. It's a different style of film and it's going to be a different result. So comparing the 30 is, is a bit, yeah, I think that's why it feels to me that if you had infinite resources and infinite access, it's a perfect series because that's what's being made currently. The in vogue content, your last chance to use, your hard knocks, are all series, serialised things because then you have more time with the characters, um, yeah, versus your traditional documentary, which is an hour to two hours. And then you look at that retrospectively. Yeah, which will be interesting to have that conversation once we've all seen the Australian dream because yeah. I think that conversation lends more to a 30 for 30 conversation. Mm. Um, yeah, and obviously is more of a traditional documentary style film. Yeah, and that's our book club next week. So final question to finish, Gordon. I'm going to throw this one at you. Put your media hat on. It's always on. You write, you love doing docos, you love doing pods. Yes. You have the opportunity to spend... A season with the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah. Do you which which medium do you think is best for transmitting the club's story? Oh, if I had again, like, like I just get the keys to the to the Gold Coast Suns change rooms. I am doing like a hard knocks on Gold Coast, starting at their review of this season. Are you doing it over the book? Over the book. So you're you're choosing to do the TV series, not the book. Yeah. Okay. Why? Because uh, I think. The, it's more emotive and I think that's the part that that the AFL doesn't know or doesn't or forgets about. The AFL community, especially the fan base, forgets that Gold Coast is made up of players that want to play footy and the vast majority of them come from footy hotbeds because that's where everyone goes, we should just get rid of this team, we should just get rid of this team. And that's the part that – that's the captivating story of imagine you spent your whole life – very young life, wanting to play AFL footy and you get there at 19, it's your first big win. You've had all these little wins, you know, 16s carnivals, 18s carnival, oh, I'm going to the combine, oh, I reckon I might go top 10. Oh, no, like Gold Coast has the number one, two, four, seven, eight, <laughs> eleven, fifteen 11, 15 pick. Yep. So I'm probably going to go Gold Coast. Shit, 
Like, what do I do now? And that's and that, oh, that's all. That's that's the big issue. Like, it is. It's that. It's so close to being normal life in the sense that, like, you graduate from uni, you get your dream job in a commerce, and you realize, oh, my dream job involves me waking up, going to work from nine to five, punching the clock like Monday to Friday for the rest of my life. How do I deal with the reality that's not this made up dream I had? And I think that's what a lot of kids when they get drafted to the Gold Coast, get because they're like, this is hard. Like, we're not that good. I'm not that good. We're, like, we're losing all the time. This hurts. Like, all that stuff. So I think a series where you had access to that and you could take one person's – and then it comes down, you'll pick out all the different things of, like, who's travelled the furthest, what's the biggest culture shock, all that kind of other – there'll be a lot of different easy to, like, bookmark episodes you could do. And, yeah, if you had, depending on how much time you had, you could make it, you know, a 10, 12, 15-episode series. I want to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> so I almost feel like what you just said there is a little bit of what was tied up in the Brody Grundy story in the film. Like the kind of everyday essence of like, oh, you, so he moved from Adelaide, but there's, he kind of talks about now I'm just Brody the footballer and that's the kind of focal point and what people see. And yeah. what you've kind of said is very much about elaborating that in more than the 15 minutes that he gets into Collingwood. Yeah, and that would, his, his story was had the potential to be – very interesting if it had more time because mm. that's kind of he only got a couple of conversations to say I'm Brody the footballer but I want to be Brody the person and it's like well what are you doing like we saw you at uni studying cool but it, like you can blag that off or whatever and he kind of did he mentioned that like he is very much Brody the footballer because he, he was struggling like, the biggest pressure he had was like he was struggling to do a group assignment or whatever and it's like well then you're definitely Brody the footballer everyone was like same Brody same group <laughs> like, I'm struggling with my group assignment <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, but like following that and following a person that wants to be, and then like the, all the challenges he faces, like if he wants to be a writer or a civil engineer or whatever, then like is he allowed to go and like is he allowed to skip extras at the club for the sake of doing a masters of engineering, or is he does he have to be the footballer? Does he want to give that up? Like that's the again that's when you have the privilege of time, you can tell those stories in more depth. It's not to say that the choices that they made in this specific documentary are. Uh, fickle. It's just that there's a time constraint, so obviously you can't. Yeah, there's only so much you can fit into 15 minutes. Yeah, and one of the hardest things about assessing any f- any sort of piece of work or writing is you're always working in within the constraints. You know, word limit, time limit, etc. Yeah, and that always there always there's always complications in that mm. because getting four stories into that amount of time is never going to be an easy task. easy task. So, Casey, final question. There's a little letter by a West Coast fan that was read out at the end of this doco. Was that you? <laughs> um, well, I'm not a man. Um, which, oh, um, well. <laughs> um, no, but you could be writing under a pseudonym. Yeah. I could be. I yep. mean, I'm trying, don't tell people these things, Gordon. <laughs> I'm trying to keep these things secret. No, just kidding. Um, that wasn't me. Um, I will tell you that when I first watched that, I like sneakily cried. Like, oh no, I cried <laughs> at the Murray Swinton stuff in the doco. Oh, I mean, no, that no, stuff, I, no, I definitely cried. Yeah. But that's that's like just humanity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that the letter at the end is like a footy, nuffy. That's like that's that's the same moment to go full circle on this podcast. That's the same as you looking over at JB and realizing that he's backing for the game mm-hmm. and going, oh, even at the even at this time of deep like hurt for my club and situation. I know that eventually I'll go, we're doing okay. Like we did enough that mm. game to even convince an arch rival that, hey, you guys are pretty good. And that's exactly what Collingwood did for this West Coast fan. 
which yeah. is just so crazy. It was interesting, mm. though, because that was the grand – I mean, I'd watched the grand final last year like four times before I watched the 17 replay for that exact – like the reason – like what that grand game was mm-hmm. for football and the two teams within it and the different narrative plot lines and how good it was as a football spectacle was why I was so drawn to it. And I was sort of like – that the thing, the reason I liked that letter is the ending, and this is a really good point to end the sort of discussion on, is because it very perfectly summarised how I came to feel about Collingwood by the end of the season, when their season had been fully fleshed out. It was exactly what Nathan Buckley wanted to do to the place. Yeah, for sure, and he mentions that, and I think even from a selfish point of view as a West Coast supporter, that letter just made me feel really proud because I know West Coast fans, we get a bad rap sometimes and sometimes it's pretty deserved. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and I think, I mean, we'll probably talk about this when we do our next uh, book club with the Australian Dream, but the, the West Coast game in, in that um, context with the booing of Adam Goods, that is something that still really hurts me as a West Coast fan. So to have something like this that reflects... I don't know, the fan journey that we can go on to come around and see things from the other side and and have empathy and understanding and acknowledge good things when they happen and even if they're not happening to you, they're happening somewhere else, I think is a really nice place to go to even though I've probably not exhibited a lot of that based on the game yesterday but I'll get there because I know that as much as we love this game and as much as it affects us on a really fundamental level sometimes that you know it is a game um and as much as we love it we do need to have sort of like a I guess a a a bigger picture when it comes to what sports means to us and I think that letter really summed that up for me and made me feel proud to be a football fan. (laughs) 